Coming up on Philosophy Talk. People do a lot of very hard thinking, or at least report doing a lot of very hard thinking in images. Where are the images we see in our imagination? Are they projected like slides on the insides of our brain? Do you really mean that there's an image in the mind? Who's looking at that image if it's there? That, that doesn't make any sense. Do we think in images or in words? The deep question at stake here is what is the currency of thought? John Maynard Keynes was once asked, do you think in pictures or do you think in words? And he said, I think in thoughts. Are mental images essential to thought? Our guest is Stanford psychologist Lara Boroditsky. This question goes to the very core of cognitive science, the very core concern. What are thoughts actually made of? Mental imagery. Coming up on Philosophy Talk after the news. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're coming to you from the studios of 91.7 KALW Loco, Innovative Public Radio for San Francisco. Continuing conversations that often begin at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus, but sometimes in Antonio's Nuthouse down on California Avenue in Palo Alto. And wherever they began, they migrate to this uh, lovely oasis of the radio, and from there to the internet via our blog first, the blog.philosophytalk.org, and now also via podcast, which you can download by checking out our website. John, our topic today is mental imagery, but it's kind of weird that we're doing this because I thought that that was just a consigned to the dust bend of philosophical history. In graduate school, I learned there are words in our heads, no pictures in our heads. Well, Ken, let me, uh, since I'm older and wiser, I'll give you a little historical perspective about the importance of mental imagery. Back in the 17th century... Yeah, I know you remember that. <laughs> Yes, right. I remember it well. My friend Rene said, look, uh, we're not in direct contact with uh, objects and properties in the world. How, how do we know about them? Answer, they cause images in our mind. We'll call them ideas, but pretty much thought of them as visual images. Solves two big problems. How does our mind think about things in the world? How do we have this of relation? Well, pictures resemble what they're of. Mental images resemble what they're of. And how do we have knowledge? they cause the mental images in us. So theory of representative ideas, mental images a big part of it, terrific theory, right? Yeah, well, you know, but the reason it was consigned to the dustbin of philosophical history is because although it's a cool first thought that gripped lots of philosophers, it's not a cool second thought. Because, okay, so mental Im images are, or pictures are supposed to represent by resemblance. But wait a minute, what does a picture most resemble? Another picture. Right. Uh, so, and you don't think pictures are pictures of pictures, do you? That's a good point. If you take uh, take the picture of Aristotle and Raphael's uh, uh, famous picture of uh, the School of the Academy or whatever it was, does that resemble Aristotle? Well, who knows? I mean, uh, Aristotle, insofar as he exists, is a pile of dust, and who knows what he looked like. So it doesn't solve that problem. But and the question think about is, your knowledge one. Think yeah. about your knowledge one. Okay, I have this image before my head, and by this picture before my head, and by that I what? I know the world? Well, no, I know the picture. That's what's before my mind. And how do I know there's anything outside the picture? I, I just, so it doesn't really, it just leads to skepticism, because we don't know whether there are any resemblances to reality. Yeah, but, you know, it's kind of unfair that mental images got 
put in the dustbin because do mental words do any better? Well, but <laughs> words don't have to resemble what they represent in order to represent them. That's the thing. So words face have a power to represent without resembling. So so there's conventions uh, that give our ideas well, it's meanings. Company. It's an even stupider idea well, than the resemblance well, we'll talk idea. About that. But look, here, philosophers did consign mental imagery to the dustbin of history. Lots of arguments about that. But cognitive science has resurrected this idea. And uh, one of our roving philosophical reporter, Zoe Corneli, went out and talked to one of the leading theorists of mental imagery. She files this report. I wanted to find out how mental imagery really works. So I turned to someone who studies these things. Stephen Coslin is a Harvard psychology professor who's been researching mental imagery since the 70s. Do you mind if I ask you a question or two? He invited me to participate in a little experiment. This may seem rather odd at the outset. Um, do you know what shape Mickey Mouse's ears are? They're round. Excellent. All right, bear with me for a moment, if you will. What shape are they? They're round. That's right. One more time. What shape are they? They're round. Okay, good. Now, I bet the first time you answered that question, you visualized the, uh, the rodent's head and saw the ears. Yes, that's right. Okay, but by the third time, you didn't. Right, I was just repeating what I already knew. Right, what shape are they again? They're round. So the distinction here is that you've got a lot of information stored that you don't know you know. But if I ask you a few times, you'll code, you'll recode that information into a verbal form and store that so you don't need to use the image anymore. Koslin says two competing processes are going on in my brain, a subconscious one that lets me recall things quickly and a visual one which takes more time. So in fact, there's kind of a mental race going on all the time, like a horse race, where when you're asked a question, the brain is both searching for lists and facts that have been coded in a verbal kind of linguistic way. At the same time, it's going to try to create an image. Whichever process wins is going to produce the response and the other one will just stop. Besides helping us remember things about the past, mental imagery allows us to make projections about the future. Let's say you have to um, load your trunk. You've got a bunch of baggage. It's a lot easier on the muscles if you look at the trunk, look at the baggage, and mentally project images of the various bags and move them around and sort of see the best configuration before you actually start to lug them up and put them in. What's more, Koslin says imagery doesn't have to refer to visual images. He claims there's all kinds of imagery, including auditory imagery. You know the, um, the old kid's song, Three Blind Mice? Yes. First three notes, they go up or they go down? They go down. Oh, but I had to picture that in my mind's ear in order to... Unless you've thought about it before, it's exactly like the Mickey Mouse case. So I can have images in my head of all kinds of perceptions, but aren't there some things we just can't visualize? For example, what does truth look like? Or any abstract concept for that matter. In fact, that was one of the original critiques. Um, the trouble is, uh, how do you represent a triangle? Uh, triangles in general, rather, with any particular triangle. I mean, any particular image of a triangle is going to be an image of that triangle, right? Your right triangle or an esophagus triangle or other particular triangles. So how do you do triangles in general? It's not so easy to answer that. So the bottom line seems to be that you can use images as vehicles for thought, but you need something else as well, some way to interpret what they mean. Psychologists still disagree about what form those underlying thoughts actually take. 
Some, like Rutgers professor Zenin Polishin, believe we can't actually think in pictures, but only in a kind of mental language. Polishin has criticized Stephen Coslin's experiments, saying essentially the subjects only thought they were thinking in pictures. But Coslin says he's starting to look at brain images to prove mental imagery is real. There are areas of the brain that are literally laid out physically, like the back of the eye. So you can see patterns on the surface of the brain someone's looking at. And you can see that during vision, and we've also done it now in imagery. Right now, I have a mental image. The end of this report. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Zoe Corneli. Want to hear more? You can find the complete episode on iTunes Music, or for unlimited listening, become a subscriber at philosophytalk.org.